HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. We're excited to partner with Talk, the only unified platform for reservations, takeout, and event management. Talk is home to 7,000 restaurants, bars, wineries, and breweries. Switch to Talk today to increase your revenue and reach millions of loyal and engaged guests around the country. The last year and a half has, amongst a few other things, upended the way we eat. We've embraced eating at home, whether it be cooking for ourselves or feasting on a bevy of elevated takeout menus. Giant grocery stores still exist, but many of us are ordering our staples online and turning to local specialty stores. Specialty grocers, butchers, delis, and cafes that hark back to the early 1900s. That's before the likes of King Cullen, Publix, and Walmart discounted our food system. I like this resurgence small businesses raising the bar of food sourcing and bringing it into the community. So today we're talking to Miles and Rachel, who spent their careers in some of New York City's fine dining temples. Miles was cooking at EMP, Blue Hillstone Barns, and Aska, to name a few. And Rachel was the psalm at Beatrice N with our friend Angie Marr, um, as well as Aska. But now they are taking their hospitality chops to a whole animal butchery and market called Kenship, opening soon in the Virginia Highlands neighborhood of my hometown, at Atlanta, Georgia. So welcome to the show, guys. Thanks so much. So nice to have you. So tell us a little bit about Kinship and the concept and and what you all are doing there. So Kinship is, as you mentioned, uh, kind of centered around the the idea of bringing the community into a singular space and connecting not only the community of Atlanta, um, but especially Virginia Highlands to producers and farmers and artisans that are also local uh, and doing exciting things. So people we believe in and we visited their farms and we like their product and the way they raise their animals and providing a space for producers' voices to be heard um, and for a community to get to know where their food sources are coming from. Um, so we have a bit of everything, a whole animal butcher, uh, as well as cheese, wine, obviously led by Rachel. Uh, and then my brother is occupying a counter here. Uh, he runs Academy Coffee um, here in Atlanta. And so he'll be doing espresso-based drinks as well. So this is a real family business. Yes. That's the name Kinship. It's about Miles <laughs> coming back home and working with his family. His dad is a ceramic artist and making um, some, some cups and eventually some other things for us down the road. And his mom's an architect designer. So every, everyone jumped in to, to help bring Kinship to life. 
damn, y'all have a talented family. <laughs> you yeah, know? Maybe yeah. that's, like, that's so nice that you can, uh, yeah. And everyone's still friendly after the whole process. <laughs> we did well. We all still like the okay. So okay. far, they're not open yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll be fine. Tell us a little bit about that. Where are you in the process? What's left? When do you open all that so, stuff? So um, right now, we're waiting on the fire marshal to come today. And once that's done, it allows us to get our business license. And then we're going to open. So we're at the very, very end of it. It's been a long process. You, tell us about that. When did you start and how did you find the space and such? Um, so being from Atlanta myself, um, I'd always loved Virginia Highlands, especially my mom's an architect, as Rachel mentioned. I love the bones of the buildings here. They have such great character. Um, and so we, were, we had moved back during the pandemic uh, after leaving New York. This was always a plan to kind of move back to Atlanta, but obviously things were expedited given that everything was closing in New York and, and everywhere, really. Um, and so we were kind of touring around and deciding what we wanted to do in terms of the concept. As mentioned, I have, my background is predominantly in fine dining. I worked at Restaurant Eugene here as well as Holman and Finch. So I've been in fine dining for 10 years plus. Um, and moving back, obviously, during the middle of a pandemic, fine dining was not an option. <laughs> um, Indoor dining was not an option. And this has always been one of the concepts we wanted to open, again, to connect with farms and, and really to have a one-on-one -on -one face to face conversation with Atlanta and everyone get to know us as well as we get to know our producers. And when you're in fine dining, it you become as a chef kind of the the demigod talking head. And I don't want to I didn't I think it's really great that we're doing kinship because it allows us to speak to a personal level to people. So this wasn't originally, so it sounds like you have a lot of concepts that you've thought of. So this was really sort of a porn, a pandemic born business. And in, in that sense that it wasn't necessarily, you know, it was, it was sort of like right place, right time. It sounds like. While we were in New York, I uh, was working on a number of business plans. I mean, this is what we want to do in life. So, and I would love to open a number of concepts. I have a lot of ideas and in my back pocket. Uh, so I had three business plans written when we moved down to Atlanta, which was always the plan, um, just in a few more years. <laughs> uh, we wanted to, of course, open a fine dining restaurant and we chose Atlanta because that's where Miles' voice as a chef really is a little bit more genuine than um, other places that we could have chosen. So we had the fine dining concept and then we were talking about more of an upscale casual space with a little more open hearth and, and some family style. And then I wanted to open up a marketplace and this was to kind of connect everything. So Miles likes to call it the center of the Death Star, but we wanted to open a <laughs> <laughs> where, you know, we could dry age in house and then send bits and parts to um, the restaurants. And then inversely, they would send back some waste that we could transfer into to stocks. And so just kind of being really respectable of all of our, our ingredients, but also have a, a zero waste as much as possible program. And so we just picked out my <laughs> business plan for Kinship Butcher Sundry. And, you know, we decided to run with it because it is also pandemic state. This is an essential business. And, you know, should anything happen, even if we have a number of other concepts, this is, this can be, you know, the stable home base. This is the, the protection. I like that I in your, it. like, spare time, you're just, like, writing business. Yeah, I love how prepared you are. I just had this vision of you, like, walking down the street looking at spaces with, like, cards in your hand. Like, yeah, this one might work. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, but as we came back to Atlanta, Miles was talking about how he loves the bones of these buildings, so he's driving me around because I only visited a, a few times. Um, and 
we saw this, this building and there was a sign in the window that says, hello, is it me you're looking for? And I was looking <laughs> the other way. So my, I was like ripped a pretty hard left-hand turn. And we pulled up in front of the building that Kinship now lives in. And we're like, this is it. It looks like a butcher shop. This looks like exactly what we want. This is the throwback to kind of a mom and pop, you know, vibe that we're looking for. Uh, so we really didn't look for a space. It found us and every it's, it's meant to be, this is a wonderful neighborhood, completely meant to be. I mean, those are the best spaces. And then tell us a little bit about the process with like, what's the real estate market like now in Atlanta? What was the process with getting the space during the pandemic? Was it, you know, was, did you get better terms or not really? How big is the space? Um, some of this? So our space is just under 1200 square feet. Um, and we're one of the spaces in the building. Uh, it was redeveloped by Gene Kansas. Um, and he's a developer who puts bones back or not bones, sorry, soul back into spaces. So we're a historical preservation building registered. Um, so that made construction difficult because we can't actually touch the front or the back or the sides of the walls, anything. Um, <laughs> so, because it's all historical tax, uh, service. So, Coming in through the pandemic, um, also coming from New York, it'd be very hard for me to say what the real estate was like because having lived in New York for 10 years, um, if I'm not being charged half a million dollars for my rent, then I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, we always have about the rent. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is cheap. I know you're late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you're like, it's free. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so coming into the space, it was reasonable obviously coming from New York, we expected to pay more. Um, but building, as Rachel mentioned, we're pretty organized. And so we have, I've, I'm also an Excel junkie. So I created a sheet kind of formatting and framing what financially would make sense for us, how many cover covers we would have to do, um, at what price point. We're also a very complex business. Um, so we've broken it up into each section to see what, what sales we have to make in each section, wine versus meat versus produce versus dry goods. Um, so coming into the market, it made sense. And also looking at the building, there was nowhere else that this could be. Um, this space really spoke to us and it was enough space, um, for us to feel comfortable, um, but then that gave away to the, the last year of our lives. <laughs> trying to get this place open. Um, and Miles's mom um, was integral in helping us, you know, design out very thoughtfully where everything could go. We have a lot of things going on in this market. And Miles built out a gorgeous kitchen um, and it feels roomy and airy, etc. cetera. Uh, but it was, it was a long design process and, but not really. Uh, but then just the start of the permitting, we submitted last October and we were there for 10 months. <laughs> what, what permitting are you talking about for, to for build? Our building, or permit, our building permit. Construction. Um, yes. Wow. Uh, so when did you sign the lease for the space? End of July. End of July in 2020. And then you didn't get permits until October. No, we submitted for uh, 10 months. Oh, we submitted. In October. We just got our building permit uh, middle of April. Holy moly. And then in April, so wow, so you guys built the space out in a matter yes. of two and a half months, basically. And you think that yeah. primarily because it's a landmark building? No, I don't or, think that had to do with it. I think, I, obviously, City Hall here in Atlanta is shut down. 
Um, most government offices, everyone's working from home. So typically in the construction process or if you build anything, a lot of times you'll hire an expediter. Mm-hmm. And they're the people who know exactly to take this one piece of paper to that one exact person who needs it. Um, but that gets a lot harder when everyone's working from home and on emails or just phone calls. Yeah, it's um, a lot easier to ignore a phone call than someone sitting in your office waving a piece of paper in your face. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's funny because some guests that we've had on who've been building during the pandemic actually found it was easier to get through the permitting process because it was like an online system. Whereas it's not so it sounds like that wasn't the case in Georgia where it now you have to you, now it's still like paper, but there's no people actually there to give the paper. To. Exactly. That's, that's tough. Wow. Yeah. But then, so I see. Sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, well, there was talk, like, once we got our building permit in, in April, uh, you know, double-edged sword here, we're doing, we did all the work ourselves, minus um, electrical, and, you know, we did the tile, the, all the painting, all the all the, the fun things like that our, ourselves, so uh, we got to push the process as fast as we were able to. So no GC, you guys literally were, like, and they're just working it. Uh, we had a GC, but we did a lot of the finish work building benches or um again tiling the bar ourselves tiling the kitchen ourselves things that we could do that would being in kitchens for so long mm-hmm. you kind of get uh stockholm syndrome where like i can't not work now <laughs> so yeah like <laughs> uh, idle hands so the devil's work and and i had been sitting out of work for almost a year so anything i could do to move the process along as Rachel was mentioning, we were able to kind of push things a lot faster than, than in somebody who's relying on somebody else to do everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you were waiting for permits, what was happening with rent? Like, did you, were you able to negotiate like concessions where you didn't have to start paying until you were able to get permits or was it sort of accruing as you were waiting? Uh, so the owner of the property was very generous with us and, and we were offered several months rent free. Um, he's very understanding about businesses in the pandemic. And he also, during the pandemic, didn't lose a single tenant um, wow. of his commercial spaces. Uh, and the, one of the businesses here has been open for 25 years. Virginia Highlands, I'm sure you know, is a very old neighborhood. And a lot of the businesses have been here for a very, very long time. Um, so he didn't lose a single tenant. He's worked with us really well uh, and understood that it's been a difficult process with permitting and dealing with the city. And then, so he was very, very generous with us. Um, how do you come into, how do you feel about coming into um, the neighborhood that you said is an old neighborhood and very, you know, established businesses at, with this new concept and, you know, hotshot from New York, how do you come in and, and embrace the neighborhood and really, you know, find what people want and what people need well i think it's it's a beautiful unfortunately there have been a lot of businesses globally that have closed during the pandemic and that's true for the virginia highlands neighborhood as well unfortunately from what i mean obviously we came a little bit later during the pandemic but everyone we've spoken to who lives here in the neighborhood has said that it was really sad to see all of these kind of businesses shutter um however I feel really good about being a business that I and creating a business that I believe in and that's going to be sustainable and, and create a conversation around food and sustainability and, and deliver products that people in the neighborhood want uh, and be a, be a new part of 
the longevity of this neighborhood. Um, and coming back to Atlanta, as I mentioned, this is a way that I, as a chef, um, can speak face to face to people, uh, rather than talking down from my podium about what's good or, or right or fine. <laughs> Uh, there's this incredible energy in Virginia Highlands right now where people want this to be a magical hub of businesses and community. Uh, there's eight businesses opening in 2021 or just opened in this year and, you know, will we'll open their doors soon. And this is counting us as well as Academy Coffee who will be within our space, but that's eight new businesses in just this cross street corner. Um, and there's also the Virginia Highlands District Association, which is made up of people, residents that just want to make this neighborhood magic. And they're investing a lot of their time and resources and money, and they want they want their neighborhood to be amazing. And so they've been incredibly supportive. It's it's a good place to be. Couldn't imagine a better place. I'm curious about how. Um, so you guys obviously have these great fine dining backgrounds, and Rachel is an expert business plan writer, which I'm sure <laughs> are um, you will receive DMs following the show for some of your advice. I'm sure from from fellow listeners, but um, but I am curious. It's like, how did you you know come up with the concept? You said that you have a complicated business. Um, how did you do the research for the concept and and sort of know what you should be stocking and you know, know how much square footage to dedicate to the wine section versus the dry goods section versus the butcher shop. I mean, it is a complicated business. And so I am just curious what resources you used there. Um, so we did a lot of research ourselves. Obviously, we're sitting around during the pandemic waiting 10 months on a permit. It gives you a lot of time to <laughs> a lot of time to research things. Um, so we 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 came up with the concept based on the fact that we had these ideas for a fine dining restaurant and a casual restaurant and having worked at Blue Hill um, and their sort of like whole animal uh, regenerative agriculture, their whole concept has influenced me greatly as a, as a chef or as a cook. Um, and so trying to waste as little of the animals or the products that we have into this space also influenced the way that we think about how we bring animals into our future businesses. And in terms of space, like designing the space, it was me having worked in kitchens and being like, this is where the stove should go. Thinking about the flow of service for myself as a cook. If I were a cook there, what would make the most sense for this to be? But also coming into the space as a guest, where would I want to fix my coffee? Where should I pick up my coffee? Where should I order? Um, so we really had 10 months to think about every single detail, uh, and we're pretty detail oriented. Um, so in terms of design, working with my mom, uh, who's amazing at conceptualizing all of this, uh, and really putting it into plans was very helpful. Um, I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think too, like the question is like, how did you, I'm sure you did, but you evaluate the um, where your profit margin lies and, you know, how people shop, do you, are you making right. the most profit on the bottles of wine and do you, how many variations, um, can you right. pack onto the list, Rebecca? And, you know, do you look at places like Ikea and figure out how to keep people in the store longer <laughs> so that they buy more shit? Like some of those, some of so those kind did, of things. Like, we did think about that, uh, in terms of the layout of the store. So as you enter through our front door, 
the espresso counter we specifically put on the right because it's it faces the door. The building's at, at kind of a slant, and we can't change the building. Again, it's horrible. <laughs> um, so the building's at kind of a slant. So we built the counter around you entering the door and seeing my brother and seeing the espresso machine and seeing the counter. But it also kind of pushes you to the left. So you we've created a circulation in the space to where you have to pass our merch, our wine, our groceries, the butcher case, the cheese case to get to where you order at the back end of the counter. And then you pick up your coffee at where you started so people can move through the space efficiently, but also have to engage with all the products. Um, so you did do the Ikea model, but in 1200 yeah. square feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's also just, it just created a way for people to engage with the space more, even if they're only buying coffee. Um, so, I mean, I, I love if everyone buys coffee, but at the same time, we're a business that do well with each other. My brother, Academy Coffee does well if we do well. We do well if Academy Coffee does well. And having that, I, ha- having people pass something allows them to pick it up where they might have just been rushing in for a cup of coffee or just no, only know about Academy Coffee. So, the Your coffee inclusion is a little bit of a unique concept. How did you work that situation? Are you renting space to him? Is, are you doing a profit share? Is he part of the whole business? So he's he's got his own business, however, doing kind of profit sharing and dividing that. So he'll be getting, he'll be selling the pastries, but he gets a percentage profit from the sales that we do um, in terms of other beverages and everything like that. So we've kind of had to flesh that out having two businesses in the same space but again it's called kinship and and for a reason we want i want to support not only because my family is my family but also because they happen to be exceptionally good at what they do i want to support my brother because he's amazing in coffee uh and to be honest if we were coming in we wanted coffee in the space um regardless because we wanted to be a whole concept you can come here at any point in the day and get what you need um, it's a one-stop shop for everything. Um, but yeah, so he, he is exceptionally good at coffee. And if we were shopping around for somebody to fill the counter, I would choose him every single day. Don't tell him I told you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. And tell us a little bit about, so, I mean, it sounds like, you know, Miles, a lot of your previous experience was, um, like as a savory chef, um, your CDC at ASCA. So what, how did you learn about whole animal butchery? Was it during that process or are you hiring somebody else to do the actual butcher piece? Tell us how that's going to work out. So I, um, worked at a restaurant called Cow and Clover in Williamsburg, which has since closed underneath, uh, my dear friend Morgan Schofield, um, who is the chef de cuisine. And we would get whole hogs from, um, Flying Pigs Farm in New York. I think that's the name of it. I can't really recall. Um, and so I have experience just working in kitchens of dealing with whole animals. Um, and and so this is going to sound gruesome, but once you've broken down one animal, they're all pretty much the same. Um, uh, and we, so I have experience just through cooking and working in kitchens and having done that as a sous chef for, for a couple of years. Um, I've worked with whole animals. I've never done that commercial butchery, but this is not a commercial butchery. So um, I learned through that. And we're also going to obviously hire people who can help the business and we can help them. Um, we want to bring people on who can who can 
educate us and we can educate them and, and, and learn from each other. Uh, I'm not too proud to, to take a step back and, and learn from somebody who's been doing this their whole life. I don't have an ego about me in that respect. It's, I learn from everyone. I learn from the dishwasher, how to organize a station. I mean, I've been doing that my whole career. So there's no end to the possibilities that we can do as long as we support our team and our team supports the concept. Um, so. Tell us a little bit about the team. I mean, every, you know, basically every, everybody this season is, has talked about how, you know, the, how tight the labor market is and, and the challenge hiring people and you guys are a new business coming in. Is it, is it just the family working it for now or do you, will you have employees? How does that look for you? Well, it is mostly family. I mean, Miles, Con, and I will be here every single day, six days a week, seven to seven. Um, yep. We'll see our faces, which is, I, I kind of like for continuity, where we really we already know a lot of our neighbors, but we really want to make that face-to-face connection. Um, but yeah, we found a, a couple great people um, through just conversations in the neighborhood. Um, so we've actually not posted uh, anything on culinary agents. We just... We're lucky enough to come across two excellent individuals that are passionate about food and learning. And, you know, one has amazing butcher experience. The other is a a forager. uh, And we all just get to nerd out and work together. You just randomly met a forager in the end. I love it. We we met him just outside of kinship and he's become a dear friend as well. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Um, Cool. And I'm also curious about if there's, you know, because businesses have become so multifaceted and what we call omni-channel during this time, do you have an e-commerce component to the business? Will you be doing like subscription boxes for the meats or tell us? Delivery as well. Delivery, yeah. So we plan, obviously we aren't open yet and we have to feel everything out and we don't want to overstretch ourselves. The last thing I want to do and partially why we've hired people not only because they're awesome. Um, we had originally planned on just staffing with ourselves because it's very expensive to hire. And having worked in New York as a cook and making just above minimum wage for a very long time with no health care, uh, what we wanted to do is right those wrongs in our space. So we are offering health care where we're going to be paying more than a livable wage here. Uh, and we're so... That does get very expensive, um, but we were originally planning on only hiring ourselves. Um, Tell us a little bit, um, if you can, about how you funded the restaurant or the the market. Um, was it personal? Did you do loans? Um, that kind of thing, and and then tell us to how well um, Rebecca you did on on the uh, the P and L for. <laughs> For, on um, your budget, your on the budget, budget for building, did you did you hit the mark? Were you short? Were you over? Well, absolutely. When we were conceptualizing the budget, Miles and I went down to even the pH test strips for our <laughs> our dishwasher. We we sat in the space and we we're like, okay, so if this is going to look like this, what is everything we possibly could imagine we need for this? So we came up with a very holistic budget, um, and we were fortunate enough. I have a a large family. Uh, and so I have personal loans out with a number of them. <laughs> um, and also some friends from college wanted to play a little bit too. So, you know, we have a, a wonderful network in terms of that. Um, but in terms of making our mark, 
I would say uh, because of the long delay, I had even planned for about five months of being fully operational without anyone coming into the store. Uh, but that quickly goes away <laughs> as, as you wait to, to get your building permit. Um, so I would say the unexpected wait was definitely a hardship. Um, but in terms of overall budget, if that wasn't the case, we are probably only two to three K over. Wow. Over budget. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's pretty well good. Done. Well done. Most people are like, I went double over my budget. So that's a first for this <laughs> show. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, it was, celebrate that one. But I mean, then again, but if it, we did, we were severely over budget in terms of waiting, you know, um, our, so Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. You're yes right and no. wrong. There's nothing, yeah, if, there's we, nothing. If, we were, if we were open on time, we would be golden. Um, yeah. But it's, it's the wait. And what was your lease term? Or what is your lease term? It's a five-year lease term. With an option for? I'm sure. I, I, again, this, this wonderful property uh, was redeveloped in the mine for longevity and, and bringing life back into a historical building. Um, and we have a as far as we're concerned, a benevolent landlord. Uh, and so he's been very kind. It's an open communication for whatever we need. Uh, but I, we, we uh, painted the logo outside uh, on the building. It was it kind of just confirmed and solidified for us that we never want to leave. And so hopefully we, we have the support from the neighborhood and Gene Kansas Real Estate. We, they're looking for someone to stay long term, not just pop in, pop yep. out. We also make a joke that if this business fails, we're going to have the apartment with the best kitchen in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and a stash of wine. That's all you need. I love it. The Monk's Kettle is a casual San Francisco restaurant that takes inspiration from the classic American tavern. Their mission is simple, to create a place for people to gather and enjoy themselves. Owner Nat Cutler uses talk not only for reservations, but to stay in control of his business and offer superior hospitality. He says, talk has been instrumental both in keeping us in control and in growing our business. We're able to see what's coming, plan for it, and then put ourselves in the position to be as successful as possible. For an operator, that is absolutely essential to a successful business. To learn more about how Talk enables restaurants to succeed, go to explorertalk.com slash join. That's explorertalk.com slash join. Um, all right, should we do some lightning round? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know you're not fully open yet, but this is one we always ask everybody. What's your favorite menu item? I know the menu's already developed, right? Yes. Yeah, so the menu's already been developed. Um, Unfortunately, I think I'm going to go croque ma'am. Uh, so it's just a croque madame served on a um, croissant. Yeah. How could it be bad? Super simple. Sounds butter delicious. on butter. I exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you have a ton of um, great uh, producers that you'll be connecting with for for meat, for veggies, for foraging. Um, tell us a little bit about one of them. So we're, we're getting our hogs from Comfort Farm uh, down in Milledgeville, Georgia. And John Jackson is a veteran who came back um, from multiple tours in Afghanistan and started a nonprofit that 
works with veterans coming home to not only give them sort of uh, a way into making their own business, uh, raising heritage hogs, but also there's obviously that connection with an animal and in dealing with PTSD and, and everything like that. So we're really happy to be working with Comfort Farms, just not only because the hogs that they bring in are beautiful, but they're well taken care of. And he has an incredibly large heart for not only his hogs, but also the people he deals with in his nonprofit. So that's one of the producers we're working for or for and with. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And yeah. There's so many. There's too many to list. <laughs> I was going to ask anybody, any like fam- favorite wine producers that you're excited to bring in? You know, so I mean, well-versed in the New York market, but the Atlanta market is completely different. The, the wines that are available in Georgia um, and the systems in place are, are very different again. And I'm finding these wonderful gems that exist, but not too many people know about them. But it's like I had to throw elbows and you know, punches in New York, try to get it on my wine list, uh, at Aska. So I'm really excited about what's here. Um, uh, off the top of my head, uh, one of my, my favorite producers is Chateau Simone. It's a French producer, uh, from Provence and they have this incredible white wine. That's a blend of a number of different grapes, uh, leading with claret, which is unusual. And it's often said that, you know, from a French wine producer, their white is better than their red and the rosé is transcendent. Uh, and, I can't find it on the shelves at any wine store, but I'm going to have it here. And it Yay. <laughs> and there's a number of great recent producers as well. So I'm, I'm excited to build out and, you know, uh, have a good selection of amazing German Riesling. I even have bumper stickers from Bomboden, which is an in, import company that says bring Riesling to dinner parties. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I saw that your like your goal is to make all the wines like approachable, sort of like table wines, but like lots of gems in there as well, which I think yeah, is a uh, I way mean, to do it. It's such it's a small selection. I am probably only gonna have uh, thirty to thirty-five SKUs. I'm gonna buy in smaller quantities just to keep it um, dynamic and but I, I wanna have the conversation with people. What are you looking for? Well maybe I don't have a Sancerre on my on my wall, but let's talk about what you want. I get to, you know, go back into my my psalm roots and, and and, and talk to people about their their wants for the evening. So I do want to make it, uh, you know, a lot of weeknight wine. So you buy your steak for Thursday night dinner, let's grab a bottle of wine and a bag of that on your way out. Uh, but I will have some more special gems too, a little bit higher up. So when you do want to celebrate, I mean, if you're buying a dry-aged ribeye, you do need something special because that is indeed a special item. So we're going to keep it dynamic uh, and fun, and it's just my stamp of approval is going to be on every single one. And it's, it's about playing with the community and the neighborhood. I want to support them just as much as, uh, I want them to support me. Well, um, next question. What is the best food cost or I guess what is your best margin in the store? Uh, that would be hands down wine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean in every, it does, we're obviously a grocery store. Uh, however, in restaurants, wine and alcohol, especially, are, are your highest margins. That's that's what allows you to make money, or not even make money. That's what allow you to, to cook, basically. Um, and what percentage so, of your twelve hundred square feet is dedicated to wine? Uh, four by eight. <laughs> four by eight. How uh, high does it go up the wall? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, okay. as Rachel mentioned, we don't have a lot of 
we won't have a lot of variety. We won't have a lot of skews, but what we do have is going to be the most exciting. And this goes with everything that we have here in Kinship. Like we have like a dry goods section where we're going to have salt and olive oil and everything like that. But every we're not going to have 20 varieties. We're going to have three. And those three are the, the ones we like most. Um, so with regards to the wine wall, we don't have a lot of space for it. But all of those wines are going to be exceptional, even the ones that are the cheapest. Um, so we also didn't start this business. I mean, obviously, all businesses have to make money; otherwise, it wouldn't exist. But we didn't. We're not. We didn't start this business to make millions of dollars because that's not realistic for us, and also not something we're necessarily pursuing. If we wanted to do that, we would have opened anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Except for a fine dining restaurant during a pandemic. Exactly. Because then you really wouldn't be making any money. Yeah. Cool. And during this time, what has been your best business resource? Um, Besides Rachel's handy business plans. <laughs> it can be a person. It can be a book. It can be a website, podcast, anything. To be honest, I think the biggest thing was the biggest resource for business. Um, it's hard to say because we've been doing so much of this ourselves and been here every day. I'd say the support for my family as well as Rachel's family and the community here in Virginia Islands has been extremely helpful. Um, but in terms of business past experiences, knowing how to, how to do food costs um, has been exceptionally helpful because no, we're not selling things yet. So we don't have a food cost, but we can project. We have to have, if we had 35 guests in every day, and 35 people bought one from each section at this median price, then how much would we, how much, what would be our overhead? You know, what do we need to break even? Um, so it's been a lot of Excel. <laughs> uh, and then also Rachel's beautiful business plans. <laughs> Last question. How are we feeling one to 10 on the fire inspection? In an hour? <laughs> I'm feeling 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Positive mental okay. attitudes do everything. <laughs> Good. I'm sure it will go great. And I'm sure that will lead to open doors in the very near future. We certainly hope um, so. Oh, we have a couple more openings uh, in the New York area that we want to shout out. And while we're doing that, if you want to think of anybody that you know um, in your neighborhood or from your from your travels and your, your old coworkers, then, then we'd like to hear that. And too. if you guys have a date. Yeah. Um, so for opening soon announcements, we have Gia on the Bowery from, um, chef Justin Slojowski. That is, it's officially open, right? They open this summer. Yeah. yeah I think in summer. June or July. So. Slinging pizzas. Go say hey to them. So what about you guys? Do you, is there a tentative date? We hope to be open in the next couple of weeks. Again, as soon as this fire inspection goes fire. amazingly well, ten out of ten, then we'll <laughs> have a better open a better idea of, of an opening date. Um, that's really the last thing that we have to do and hang some shelves, do some touch ups on paint. But it should be any day now. Uh, hopefully, in the next two weeks. Any other friends or other shops or restaurants in Atlanta or beyond that have opened recently? You want to shout out? Open and recently, I mean, there's a couple that opened during the pandemic that we absolutely love. Um, we try to go to a place called Talat Market, 
as often as possible. Uh, they they opened during the pandemic, which can't imagine going the whole lead up and then facing that shutdown. Um, but they do amazing work. Some of the most exciting stuff that we think is happening in Atlanta right now and incredibly delicious. So Talat Market, I want to say they, they just opened within the last year. So that's going to count. <laughs> that definitely counts. Yeah. And then we have obviously everyone in the neighborhood. Uh, we have Morales, which is, this is another location that they've opened up here. We have Donut Dolly's coming in. Virginia Highland Bookstore just opened up. Um, we have a pizza place to be named. Um, they're working on a name now opening next door from the owners of Nina and Rocky's over on the belt line. Um, so yeah, all, I mean, everyone, because they've been so, so supportive for us and everyone in the Virginia Islands neighborhood is their businesses are amazing. And they've been so supportive of us and dropping in and being like, Hey, I'll swing aim for you if we need you to, uh, which is kind of unreal. So great. Well, thanks guys for chatting with us today and we wish you the best of luck in getting open. Tell us how everybody can find you on social and online. Uh, so our website is uh, kinship-atl.com uh, and Instagram, it's kinship underscore ATL. Got it. We will be checking you out as soon as we're back in uh, the ATL next. And if you Excellent. want to find and follow us, we are at We Are Opening Soon and at Till It NYC. Thanks again, guys. Thank you so so much much. for having us. Good luck. Thank you. Cheers. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.